We're in the third part of this series on spiritual warfare. And in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 14, it says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Two weeks ago, I addressed the origin of evil, the devil, and the channels through which he works, the flesh and the world. And last weekend, I addressed the power of the devil and why God allows the devil to attack us and why God doesn't remove evil. Today, I'm speaking on being strong in the Lord, in the Lord, and in the strength of his might. One of my favorite verses is found in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 6. 30 verse 6, and it says, David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him. Because all the people were bitter in soul, each of his sons and daughters, for each of his sons and daughters, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. In Revelation chapter 13 verse 7, it says, the beast or Satan wars against the saints but they overcame him because they were strong. We're in a war. But I don't want to talk about the war as much as I want to talk about how we prepare for the war. The spiritual battle that rages around us and is intensifying, we need to be strong in the Lord. This is speaking of general strength, but notice in that one verse, in verses 10 and 11, first it says, be strong in the Lord, and then right after that it says, put on the whole armor of God. The two are not the same. He's not referring to the same thing. The first in verse 10 is referring to the strength that we need. Later we're going to come to the details of the battle and how we war specific, against specific tactics of the enemy, and how we defend ourselves against very specific tactics of the enemy. But here, Paul warns and he exhorts them to grow strong. He says, be strong in the Lord. That means it's our responsibility to be strong in the Lord. It's, uh, it's not something that just happens when we are in a war with the enemy, and when he attacks, we don't just hand it over to the Lord and then he takes care of it and wars on our behalf. That's not what the scriptures teach. In fact, I was going to preach half my message on that part and I took it all out last night. God calls us to do our part in warring. But then he says, I'll supply the strength but even there, he says, I want you to take responsibility for becoming strong in the Lord. So let's look at some ways that we can become strong in the Lord. And the first one is through the word and prayer. Obviously, an infant needs food and drink. This is the same in the Christian life. So how do we get food and drink? See what Jesus says about it in John chapter 6. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my, on my flesh or feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, 
and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh, drinks my blood, abides in me, and I in him, as the living Father sent me, and I live because or by the Father. In other words, that's how Jesus did it. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because or by me. Here we have a profound mystical teaching. Many of Jesus' hearers called it a hard saying and rejected it. They stumbled. And indeed, many quit following him from that point, according to verse 66. So these words come to test us. Our reaction to these words proclaims who we really are and where we stand. What did Jesus mean? He explained it uh, to those who cared to stay and listen a little while later. He said that his words were spirit, not flesh. John 6, he says, the words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. He wasn't speaking of material things when he talked about eating his, his flesh and drinking his blood. That was an analogy. It was a picture. He, he was using a picture to explain spiritual realities. In John chapter 6, verse 57, he says, As the living Father sent me, I live, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. I am, he was saying, I'm living by the Father, that is, I'm receiving my strength and nourishment and power from the Father in communion and fellowship with him. This is a part of what was involved in the incarnation. Jesus had not ceased to be the Son of God. But he had taken unto himself a human nature, but he emptied himself by, uh, by taking on this human nature. He was now living his life as a man in human nature. He was not living in terms of his Godhead. It was still there, but he was not living by it. He was living a life of utter dependence upon his Father. That is why he prayed as he did regularly. In the same way, Jesus says, we are to get our nourishment and strength and power from him. In the same way he did from the Father, a mere intellectual belief is insufficient in the Christian life. Christ comes to us through the Bible and we are built up. You really take in the word, chewing on it, pondering it, actively thinking upon what it says, meditating on it, considering it, asking yourself and the Spirit what he is saying to you through it. Paul was giving his last words of advice to the elders at Ephesus, you'll recall, in the book of Acts, and this is what he said, I, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, make you strong, and to give you the inheritance among all who are sanctified. This is how a Christian becomes strong in the Lord. It is one way. It is a key way. The Word has been given for you to be nourished on and strengthened. You sit down to take it in daily, and it supplies you with spiritual strength. We'll consider how feeding on Christ and the Word nourishes us in just a moment. And, and prayer has been given for the exact same reason. Christ comes to us by means of prayer as well. Prayer doesn't only mean petitions and requests. Prayer primarily is communion with Christ. And in Revelation chapter 3, uh, verse 20, Jesus said to the church at Laodicea, he said, here I am. He was speaking to believers 
I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. This isn't an evangelistic statement. Oh, no, it was addressed to believers. He's talking about fellowship and communion. And as Christ comes to you in such times of prayer, you're strengthened. Take a look at what Jude said in verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. There it is. The same thing as when you're taking in the word through the scriptures. Then when you go to fellowship and communion with Christ in prayer, he comes to you and you feed on him. And that's how you get spiritual strength. Now, let's look at three primary areas uh, where we are nourished in our being. Let's begin with our mind, first of all. If you are ever going to be able to fight against the devil, and you're going to be able to last, and you're going to be able to make it, you will need to be thoroughly convinced in your mind, and you will have to understand in your mind and intellect that what you believe is actually true. Otherwise, the enemy is going to come to you, and he's going to fill your mind with many doubts. There have been people who have come to Southland for a number of years who have left because they had doubts, and they fell away from the faith. Did you know that? And the reason is because they didn't feed on the Word and allow it to strengthen their mind. In 2009, February 12th exactly, one of our pastors, Tom Dick, came to me with many doubts about the truth of Christianity. It was an attack from the enemy. I spoke to him about proofs, and then... And then I gave him Ravi Zacharias' books from my library to study, and I told him that this is what he needed to do for his devotions. In fact, I said to him, I said, Tom, put all your devotions aside. Whatever you're doing in your devotions, put it aside because it isn't working what you're doing. Your mind is not strong right now. And I said, right now, every day when you have devotions, take out the Word of God, take these books, and dig down into the scriptures and meditate on them and study them, learn them, understand, pray about them. Take them in until your mind is strengthened. Several weeks later, he stopped by my office and he had a big grin on his face. And he said, Pastor Ray, I'm not fighting with doubts anymore. But now he was so excited about what he was learning, he just dug even deeper. And he studied more, and he worked hard at it. And uh, finally, on December the 1st, 2011, he walked into my office with a big smile again and plopped a one-and-a-half-inch thick apologetic course on my desk like this. He took it, and it was right. He said, hot off the press, you have the first copy. Now, when... Uh, when uh, he had been going through it on, on the day in 2009, when he had been struggling with that, the Holy Spirit moved in my heart to write him a fatherly kind of letter. It was one and a half pages long. And so now when he brought me the apologetic course, he flipped it a couple of pages, and he did like this. He pointed to a page, and he grinned at me. And I looked, and I said, I said, Tom, that's my email. He said, yep. And I included it in the publication of this course. His mind was strengthened. 
because he went back to the Word and back to prayer where he met Christ and his mind was strengthened. You and I will not, you and I, as we, as we face pressures, increasing pressures, we will not stand. Some of you will not stand unless you get into the Word now and begin to strengthen your mind by, nourish, by feeding on the Word of God. You are no, uh, the, by the way, this, this casual coming to church and listening to a message here and there uh, when it suits and when you're not doing something better is not going to nourish you. It's not going to be enough. You'll never be a match for the enemy. He's way more intellectual than you'll ever be, and I don't care what number of degrees you have behind your name. He'll take a very weak argument, and you'll look at it, and you'll believe it, and you're done. Many a former believer has walked away from the faith because they didn't strengthen their minds. Peter was praying one day, and sometimes he'll use, when you're in the Word, you'll, you'll get your doctrines straight. Or when you're in prayer, he'll begin to speak to you. He'll come to you, and he'll begin to ask you questions. I cannot tell you how many times I've been in prayer, and the Holy Spirit has raised a question in my mind about a belief pattern that I had. And then I went back to the Word, and I began to study and page through and mark up my Bible and get out books and study until I found out why he was bringing it up. He was nourishing my intellect, my mind. Peter was praying one day, and a sheet was let down, <clears throat> telling him to eat the ceremonially unclean animals. He learned from that that the Lord was not just calling the Jews, but also the Gentiles to himself. And I can't, I, I can't tell you how many times he's, he's done that. But, but think about this. You know one of the things that I, I've, I've, I hear around our church sometimes? I hear people say things like, uh, let me use this as an example. I must be doing God's will because... I'm being attacked by the devil. Have you ever heard that? I've heard that a number of times. And I cringe when I hear that because, yes, does the, does the enemy attack us when we are being attacked? I mean, when we're doing God's will, yes or no? Sure, absolutely, no question. The Bible, Scripture is full of that. He wars against the saints. But let me ask you this question. Does the enemy attack you when you're not doing God's will? Absolutely he does. For example, if you have sin, unconfessed sin in your life, he has a foothold into your life. He has an entrance way to get into your life and get to your children, get to your spouse, and get to your, your extended family. And the attacks are coming, but it's not because you're doing God's will. It's because you're not doing his will. You see that? But here's the problem. If you don't understand that, for example, and obviously people who say that don't quite understand that. If you don't understand that, you will assume that every time you're attacked, you must be doing the right thing. And the enemy is only too happy to keep attacking you. So not only, <laughs> now you get a double whammy. He's attacking you, and you're not doing God's will on top of it. Do you see the problem? 
You have to... You have to be in the Word to be nourished and to become strong in your mind. You have to understand what the Scriptures are saying, and you can't let him use... See, he just twists it a little bit, just enough to get you off track, and it's enough to trip you off. And the minute you think wrong, he's got you. He's clever. He's so incredibly smart. That's why the Scriptures begin, and Paul intones, he says... Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And one of the ways is you've got to be in God's word. Amen? Amen. All right. There's a second place you've got to be strong, and that's in your heart emotions. In your heart emotions. When people are in pain, they're going through difficult and trying days. They don't need a philosophical or theological explanation. They need God's presence. Amen. Sometimes you need to be made strong in your mind. Other times you need to be in the Word and in prayer because your heart and your emotions need to be strengthened because you're not going to make it otherwise. Thinking of a story that goes way back. <clears throat> we were in Woodstock and my wife, Fran, she was born with a strong constitution and a gift of joy, literally a gift of joy, and she'll tell you that. And uh, so she, can, she has always been able to carry huge loads of responsibility. It's never bothered her. One day, she was in trouble in Woodstock. She was in such serious trouble, I started to worry. In fact, it got so bad that I finally bought some train tickets for her and the four children to send them back. But in the meantime, I went to the Word. And I said, Lord, you got to speak to me. I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know how to deal with this. I don't know what's the matter with my wife. And uh, she couldn't help herself. But, and here she was, crumbling before me. I had no idea what was wrong. I didn't know then what I learned later. She was under severe demonic attack. All I knew was how to fall back on Jesus to feed on his word and get strong in trying times. And as I fed on the word, this is what I read one morning. Psalm 35, 17. Lord, how long wilt thou look on? Rescue my soul from their destructions, my darling from the lions. And a moment I read that the Holy Spirit spoke powerfully to me, promising to rescue my darling from the lions. And I was so comforted, I just sat there and I wept and I wept. But he strengthened my heart. That wasn't about the intellect, it was about the heart and the emotions. And within a day, Fran was completely normal. In fact, so normal that we canceled the train tickets got a refund, and she had no real currents of this again. It's inc incredible. How many have fed on Jesus through the Word in their hearts, been strengthened through comfort and peace and joy and profound gratitude? Sometimes when I've, I've, I've been feeding on the Lord, and, and whether it's been in the prayer time or the Word or usually mixed together, on occasion, there's just been this, I can't explain it, but something just comes out of my heart and it just comes right out. Just this profound gratitude. It's not just being thankful. It's not saying thank you like we do at the prayer summit. It's not that at all. 
It's something that goes beyond. It's something he does inside. But it comes when we strengthen our hearts. Jesus was filled with joy. It says at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit. Now, this is amazing because Jesus was going to the cross. And yet it says he was full of joy. How is that possible? Because he was the Son of God? No. We already saw that that's not the reason. Because he was living his life in dependence on the Father, showing us how we must do it, feeding on him. And do you know what Scripture says about joy? Nehemiah 8.10 says, The joy of the Lord is what? Is a strength. And when we feed on him, when we feed on him through the word and in prayer, a joy comes over us despite circumstances that we cannot explain. And here is Jesus demonstrating for us that though he was on the way to the cross, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And when we have joy, there's tremendous strength that is given to us. Where do you get that joy-filled uh, strength? It says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. We get it in his presence as we're feeding on him, as we're having communion and fellowship with him, in prayer and in the word. And when the pain and suffering are most acute, he wants to come and strengthen your heart with his presence. In Psalm 23, verse 4, it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. My youngest Bruce, brother Bruce had uh, just died in a fire, in a house fire, many years ago. And uh, my mother tells the story that she was sitting she was sitting in the living room. There were people all over the place. She was, um, she was completely overcome with what had happened. She couldn't believe it. And as she was sitting there and mourning for her son, suddenly a voice next to her said, Bruce is with me. And instinctively she knew the voice. How did she know the voice? She'd never seen Jesus. She turned to the left, and, he was, and there was nobody there, and she knew she had heard the Lord. It so strengthened her. It so gave her a joy and a hope. I don't mean she wasn't sorrowing. Oh, no. That she says a strength invigorated her, and you know what she did? She got up and began to serve everyone else. It's incredible. But, it, it, but, but, but our strength comes when we are in communion and fellowship with the Lord through eating, feeding upon his word. He said he's the bread of life. He said he's the living water. And so we strengthen our intellect and we strengthen our hearts when we come to him and feed on him. My wife was reading 
in 1 Samuel chapter 30, the very one that I referred to. She was reading it in her devotions this week. And right at the end of the week, she came to me and she said, Honey, what are you preaching on? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking through it. And uh, she said, Well, I, 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 I read this verse. It says that David strengthened himself in the Lord. And she said, I got this question in my head. What does it mean to strengthen ourselves? She said, I've been pondering that. That's what we're talking about. To be strong in the Lord when the circumstances are difficult and when the pressures mount and when everything seems to be going wrong, we're to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's what the scriptures say. Well, there's a third part of us that needs strengthening, not just our intellect, not only our heart emotions, but it's our will. Our will needs strengthening. When you feed on Christ, the living word through the Bible, it strengthens your will. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. There it is. This affects your desire or your resolve. In March of uh, 2004, I was praying, and I've told the story before. I was praying on a beach in White Rock, Crescent Beach, in fact. And uh, my prayer time was just about over. It was a gorgeous morning. The sun had come up, and the water was placid and calm, and I had had this wonderful time with my Lord. And as I was walking back to the van that I rented, suddenly the Spirit spoke to me and he said, I want you to go back and tell the church about me, about the Holy Spirit, that is. And I said, Lord, I can't tell them about you. If I tell them about you, either the church will divide or I'll lose my job. And he said, what's that to you? Go back and tell them. Well, I was fearful. I was fearful. I didn't want to lose my job. And I didn't want the church to divide. So I went back. And uh, day after day, week after week, I spent time in the Word, feeding on Him. So that He would strengthen my resolve to do what I had to do, no matter what the cost. I read passages like Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 9. Like emery harder than flint. I, I, I underlined it and I, in my other Bible. Then flint have I made your forehead. Fear them not, nor be dismayed at their looks. And as I meditated and fed on Christ in the Word and in prayer, my resolve got stronger, stronger to the point where I said, fine, then I'm going to go and do it. How about temptation? How about temptation? You know, temptation is a, often a subtle thing. We don't think of tempt... Uh, I mean, it can be temptation to do something wrong, and we see it as an attack. But often temptation isn't even a moral issue. Not entirely. Sometimes the enemy is just trying to get you off the precise track that the Holy Spirit has for you to fill. 
and he comes with a temptation. And it looks right, but if you're not feeding on the Word, and if you're not in communion fellowship with Jesus, you won't be able to tell that it's the enemy who's actually attacking, even though everything seems to be calm. Happened to me in 2004 and 2005. A denomination with 500 churches contacted me twice and said, would you consider becoming the president of the denomination? And I thought, wow, this must be from Jesus. It's an open door. That's, how, that's, another, that's another thing that people often make a huge mistake about. Just because it's an open door doesn't mean it's God's will. Amen? But how would you know that if you're not nourished and spending time in the Word and listening to the Spirit? And in communion and fellowship with the Lord Jesus. How would you know that? But when you are in the Word, meditating, considering, learning, underlining, writing notes, then you begin to see the subtle attacks of the enemy. And you say, ah, I know what you're up to. It's an open door, but God doesn't want me to go through every open door. Not every open door is God's will for your life and mine. Would you agree with that? Yeah, Scripture talks about that. And so, as I spent time with the Lord, he said, No, I got a different idea for you. I had no idea at the time that, that eight years later there would be such a thing called church renewal. I had no idea. God had a, a different plan. But that's, we're just, here we're just talking about jobs. We're talking about certain temptations, and they can cost you, um, they can cost you your reward. That's what Paul was talking about to the church at Corinth. He said, lest I lose my, uh, the prize he said, I don't want to be disqualified for the prize. How about the great German theologian and Christian and dissenter during World War II, Dietrich Bonhoeffer? He had been urged by his friends to leave Germany to avoid being conscripted into Hitler's army. Reinhold Niebuhr of Union Seminary in New York City had helped him get a professorship lecturing at the prestigious seminar, seminary. However, shortly after arriving in America from Germany, he began to question whether he should have left Germany at all. Then on June the 24th, 1939, while meditating and feeding on the Word that day, God spoke to him through the following passage, Isaiah 28:16. The one who believes does not flee. He knew God had spoken to him. And though fully conscious that this would probably cost him his life, his will and resolve were strengthened, and he returned to Germany only 26 days after arriving in America. And of course, as we know, some years later, he was arrested, and eventually, with just days before the whole Nazi regime fell, he was hanged. He was a martyr for Christ's sake. But his resolve, 
and his strength came because, and he taught his, he taught his students this every day, to meditate in the scriptures, to feed on Christ, to hear the voice of God. He talked about it much, and he taught his students. Often, uh, and, and often it was in underground seminaries. But his resolve was strong, and his will became strong because he was in the Word feeding on Christ. Amen? Yes. See how feeding on the Father steeled the Son of God himself. Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, asking the Father if the cup of intense suffering which lay before him could pass. Wasn't there some other way? The agony of what he faced was so intense that he sweat drops of blood from broken uh, blood vessels as he cried out to his father. But instead of changing the plan, his father instead gave him the strength his will needed to go through with the suffering ahead. And there, as he lived by the father, as he himself said in John chapter 6, the Father strengthened him. And it says, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. More about that in a minute. Well, not only are we made strong, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Not only are we made strong by feeding on Christ through the word of God and in prayer, we're made strong through the church and ministry. In Hebrews 10, verse 24, it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know something? In 27 years of pastoring, I have yet to see one person who left off church attendance who is still walking with the Lord today. Not one. In 27 years. That's staggering, isn't it? We need one another. It's a body. This is where the Spirit speaks to you through the preached word as well as through the praises of the congregation and ministry one to another. It stirs you up to love and good works. But there's more here than meets the eye. The real secret is in the ministry or ministering you do to others as a result of church. In fact, the ones who really are hungry for the preaching of the word and who are eager to take it in are those who are in fact ministering or giving out. They know how much they need it. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul wrote this. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one of you has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. And just before you get carried away and you get very worried that you don't see all those things happening on a Sunday service, remember that their services were held in houses. They were cell groups is what they were. So the church at Galatia didn't meet at one place. It met in many places. Uh, or uh, a church at Corinth, I should say. Galatia was a province, but in a city. They met in many places, and so it was uh, proper for that to take place, and that's how we do it here as well. Look how this works. 
This week, uh, this last week, on October the 25th, I, want, I just want to illustrate for you how it works. Lorraine Berrigan, you know the Berrigans, sent me an email. And this is what she wrote, and I'll, I'll just read it off the way I have it. Great time last night. Thanks for your friendship and for including us on this amazing journey of church renewal! Exclamation mark. Can you imagine his delight as he sees you today? And then she wrote Zephaniah 3.17. So I had to look it up. So I read Zephaniah 3.17 and immediately began to weep as the Lord ministered to me. And this is what it said. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. He will take great delight in you. It strengthened me immediately in my spirit. You know, Satan comes along and he starts sowing doubts. And you start asking questions. Is, is what I'm doing making any difference at all? Am I on the right track? Have I finished what God wanted me to do? Should I be stepping aside? Is God pleased with me? Do you ever feel those doubts as you're ministering, as you're leading a cell or whatever ministry you're doing with the children, whatever it is? Does it make any difference? And then somebody in the body says, the Lord impressed on me to give you this word or this picture or this verse or this song or whatever it is, and it strengthens you. Amen? Amen? Yeah. And it had strengthened me. And then you get one of these and you strengthen in your spirit and you worship and you love him more and you want to give your life to him even more fully. I get lots of these. Did you know that? I get lots of them. More than I can hardly handle sometimes. Many people minister to me too. Something Chris and Ray do the feeding and we do all the eating. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing. I'm a human first, and somewhere down the list, oh, I'm a pastor as well. Many, many people minister to me in this body, and I'm so appreciative of it. We all are to eat, and we are all to feed others. See how powerful this is? You and I need the body. But if we need to receive from the body, then it means that I also must contribute to the body. This week, this last week, we had the prayer summit on Sunday, last Sunday. And uh, we, we had some healing time, and so I, sat, uh, uh, I just stepped aside, and I was about to sit down on a chair, and a group of eight young guys walked up here. And I said, yes? They said, we're here to pray over you. I said, really? Yep. Yeah, you have a lot of problems with your neck and stuff, don't you? I said, yes. Well, we want to pray for you. And for the next 15 minister, uh, minutes, these guys ministered uh, to me. But just as um, it was over, one, they stood around and they looked at the group. First, they were just ministering here, and they looked, and their eyes were a little bit big, a couple of them. I said, wow, this is big. And then one of them looked at me and grinned, and he said, are you ever nervous? 27 years of doing this, and then he asked, are you ever nervous? And my answer to him was, yes. Yes, I'm nervous. Yes, I, I, I get nervous. 
Chris has testified in the past how years ago he went through panic attacks immediately before he got up and preached. Here's what I've worried about for years. Lord, I am such a plain Jane kind of guy. How can I possibly lead such a congregation or preach to such a congregation? In fact, when the church was only 500, I pleaded with the Lord to get somebody else and give me another little church where I'd be comfortable. One day he spoke to me, I'll never forget it, in my devotions. Aha, there it is again, right? Feeding in the word and in prayer. And he spoke to me out of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, 12, verse 8 to 9. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You know what he said? Ray, I'm going to keep you a plain Jane. That's exactly what I was looking for. In fact, I made you perfect. Just average. And now, we'll see what I can do with that. Now we'll see what I can do with that. I was so overwhelmed. I asked him how he was going to do it. He didn't answer my question. He just wanted me to obey. And later, I discovered how he did it. How he made me strong for the task. Acts chapter 10, 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. There it is. God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power, and that's how he did it with me, and that's how he wants to do it with you. Amen. I mean, just, uh, just a couple of weeks. Uh, I, honestly, I, I could give you such a list we would be here for an hour just telling stories about incredible, unbelievable things that I've seen him do here at Southland that should have never happened and had nothing to do with me, and yet I did them. It's unbelievable. Just a, uh, just a week and a half ago, I was uh, doing my church renewal online mentoring the Western group, and when it was finished, Marty looked at me, and they were all off, and he said, well, that was the most intense session I've ever heard. And I went home and I said, I, I said, honey, I think uh, I was too intense. Marty said I was, I was very intense. And uh, <laughs> I knew Marty was right. <laughs> he was being polite. Uh, meaning that I was too intense means that it was, like, bad. <laughs> Marty will do, is very gracious. And, uh, I said, and, and I went down in the basement. I was so upset with the whole thing. I said, this church renewal mentoring thing, it's not working. It is not working. I've come against the wall here. I don't know what's wrong. I got a good sleep and, and a morning friend, and I prayed. And suddenly, I was supposed to be prepping for last weekend's message. On Thursday, I was supposed to start. And instead, I spent the entire day, and he just, whew, it just mapped out. And I completely overhauled church renewal completely, with six training levels. By the time the Bergens came, we said, <laughs> we're having supper tonight, but this is going to be a meeting. We met for three hours. They just shook their head. They said, this is unreal. I said, are you good with it? Because I'm presenting it this weekend. So the delegates came from, <laughs> the delegates came, <laughs> and uh, Sunday, that meant my whole Sunday afternoon, which was all prepared, had to be redone. And I presented it there, and then on Monday, they had so many questions. And honestly, as I was answering questions and speaking, I thought to myself, this is almost an out-of-body experience. It wasn't, okay? It wasn't. But I said, this isn't me. 
This isn't me talking right now. I just thought, have you ever heard such wisdom in your life? <laughs> I had to run to my office to start writing things down, and I was afraid I was going to forget some of the things I had said. Because I'd never heard anything like it. <laughs> you know what that's called? Anointing. That's called anointing. You say, oh, Ray, now you're bragging that you've got the anointing. No, I'm not bragging. I would be bragging if I told you that's, how, that's what I was able to do, and I didn't tell you where it came from. That would be bragging. But to say, I didn't know what to do. And then with time running out, pew, it just happened. Six months after I started here at Southland and telling Fran I wouldn't be able to do, make any major decisions for the next five years because that's how long it takes to, to build trust. Six months. Do you think I've built trust in six months? We completely changed our governance structure here at Southland and it happened in a meeting in seconds. A question was asked of me, and honestly, I could just see the whole pattern. I got a sheet of paper, and I drew the circles, the very ones that I, that I speak on in the Southland 101 now. And within six months, we had completely changed our structure, and I didn't even know how the thing was run. Would you call that anointing? Help me. Would you? See, here's my point. When he asks us to, we spend far too much time worrying about whether we got the gift. A lot of people are saying no to Jesus, who is Lord, because they don't have the gift. Now, I'm not saying that, like, if you have zero ability to teach whatsoever, I think the Lord's trying to tell you something. Would you agree? But then all at once, he's got you working at levels that you know are way beyond you. It's called anointing. And listen, in the war we're fighting against Satan, when we're trying to take souls out of his stronghouse, it's going to take anointing to do it. Some of you say, well, I'm not going to teach. I'm not going to lead a cell. I'm not going to work in children because I just don't have any abilities. Yes, you do. And you've got the power of God and the strength to do it. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Amen? Yeah. Wow. I'm just trying to see where I am here. Oh, and a result, you know, by the way, you know what happened as a result of, of this weekend and what all transpired there? Do you know that on Monday, we had a sign-up sheet after that, and nine church leaders signed up. For the next level, six pastors, three denominational leaders, never before. That's incredible, is it? It's unbelievable. <laughs> I can't get over it. I can't imagine how you'd ever get over it. <sighs> you know, well, years ago, uh, how much time? Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. Qu very quickly. Uh, um, one of our staff, I won't mention his name, Chris Puhatch, but he, <laughs> he phoned in on, on a Saturday at 9 o'clock in the morning, and he was speaking that night at 4 o'clock, and he phoned in at 9 that morning and said to me, Pastor Ray, I'm sorry, I'm sick. 
And I said, take a pill, buddy. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> I had not been, I was so relaxed. I had never, I hadn't been thinking about preaching at all. And all of a sudden, I got this unbelievable download. I just, I just wrote it. And I went up and preached it, and people said, that was the most incredible message ever. <laughs> it sure did a lot for my ego. Uh, it obviously wasn't me. And I don't take too much stock in what people say anyway. One person came up to me on a week that I wasn't preaching and said, that's the best message you've ever preached. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> what do you do with that? Anyway. That's two ways in which we feed on Jesus and we become strong. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Here's the third way, spiritual discipline. His divine power, Peter said, is, was given us, has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And for this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and so on and so on and so on. He says we're to do it. You have to intentionally choose to grow in certain of areas of your life so that you'll be strong. You can't leave it to chance. 1982, I listened on a Sunday evening to a message by Pastor Doug Barber. He wasn't my pastor. He was from the U.S. And he preached a message on Hebrews 11, and I will never forget it. I remember no messages, including my own. But I will never forget that message on faith taken from Hebrews chapter 11. It wasn't because it was that special it was because the holy spirit spoke to me and i walked out of there and more than anything i said god i want to be a man of faith i want to live that kind of life next morning i got up real early in the morning and i got um i got i had the key to the church i was a youth youth guy i was a youth pastor and i went to the church before anybody got there, and I went into the auditorium, and I locked it, and there's pitch black in there. And I began to pace up and down, and I cried out to God. I can't tell you how I cried out to him. And I said, God, how do I become like that? Like, I want that, but I don't know how to do that. I'll do whatever you want. Just let me live a life of faith. It can only be explained by you. God heard my prayer. A couple of weeks later, he said, I want you to double your giving from 10% to 20%. I said, Lord, what does that have to do with anything? He said, double your giving. I went and told my wife, and thankfully she agreed. Two weeks later, I lost my job. Whole plant shut down. And uh, I came home, and the first question my wife asked me was, how about our giving? We doubled it from 10 to 20%. How are we going to do it? I said, I think the Lord knew that when he did that. And for the next couple of months, no money, no income, no UI, nothing, nothing from the government, nobody. And we had promised not to tell anybody. God took care of our little family for two full months, and at the end, our giving hadn't changed in a dollar amount at all. And that was the beginning 
of a life faith. And if it hadn't been for that, I wouldn't have started the church. And the church we started in Woodstock was called, <clears throat> we had already named it Crossroads Baptist. And the Holy Spirit said to me, change it. Call it Faithway. And he told me that in prayer. That we had printed out all the brochures. We dumped them. And it was our money, $1,000 it cost us at the time. We were going to hand to the homes. And we changed it to Faithway Church and became, was the beginning of a walk of faith. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for 1982 when I heard that message. But you have to be intentional about it. You have to want it. And then you have to go to the Word. You've got to go to prayer and you've got to feed on Him. And then He makes you strong makes you strong in him. And then you can raid the enemy's camp. And then you can fight temptation. But you have to be strong. You can't just kind of pop in and out of church. If you're a church popper, I guarantee you, you're about to be defeated if you're not already. Here's the last one. This is where I end. And it ends where we started with that amazing video. His indirect or direct appearances. Sometimes the battle becomes so intense and so fierce that the Lord graciously sends an angel to strengthen his people or he appears himself. You can't do anything in this case. This is just his faithfulness to you. You simply receive his strength in the crucible of affliction. We already noted that the Father sent an angel to strengthen his son, Jesus. It also happened during an intense time of temptation in the wilderness. Again, angels ministered to our Lord, but it happened time and time uh, again to his servants as well. Think of Paul in Acts 27, you know, the shipwreck, just before the shipwreck in that big storm. And, Paul, and, and they hadn't eaten for many days, and it looked like all, the, all hope was gone. And he gets up after a night. And he says this to the sailors. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar and behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Paul had been strengthened, and so he could then strengthen others too. And on another occasion, Paul had been arrested in Jerusalem and was brought up on charges of sedition by the Sanhedrin. The altercation grew so violent, it seemed they would tear Paul in pieces. Look what happened that night. It says, the following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you've testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Many of our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ have testified to similar experiences where they were strengthened by the personal appearance of an angel or even the Lord Jesus Christ himself. As things grow darker around us, we have this promise of his personal presence and strengthening. And so our Lord says to us, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power.
Amen.